healthcare. It happens here, and it finishes here. Two men enter, one man leaves. Nearly a two-word review just said, shit sandwich. I will roll the record up to the next one. Welcome back to the Basement Fellow Music Lovers. You are now tuned in to yet another exciting adventure with us here on Chunky Glasses, the podcast. I'm your host, Kevin. As usual, we're so happy to have you down here. Although it is not down here, it's actually up here because. well, I'll fill you in on it a little later. But the basement is no more. I'll just leave it at that. Right now, though, we have a phenomenal podcast for you. The band Morphine is one of the best bands that has ever been, I think. And I think most people would agree. Um, weirdly, though, not everybody knows who Morphine is. And something, when we were uh, putting this together, we're like, wouldn't it be wild if like people are hearing about Morphine for the first time on this podcast? And I hope that's you. I hope that's you listening because you're about to have your mind blowed uh, this is a little band out of Boston, uh, head by Mark Sandman, and uh, and they they it was a unclassifiable music to my mind, but they just uh, they did something different in a time when it was sort of free, you know, it was encouraged you to do something different, and they they really took up the uh, the zeitgeist on that challenge and killed it. There's never been a band like them since. Uh, there was never really a band like them before, uh, but in four short albums, I think they redefined what you can do. Um, with uh, alternative music or whatever, or, or maybe just they evolved rock and roll to a place that it maybe should be today. Uh, but it was on 1993's Cure for Pain that they really, uh, it was their finest statement. It was a, uh, for lack of a better word, motherfucker of an album. It changed the way I see music. It changed the way a lot of people see music. Uh, it resonates to this day. It is timeless. It is classic. It is immense. It is, uh, for people who love it, everything. Um, and uh, so since it's 25 years old, we figured we might as well talk about it. Joining me are going to be our friends Eduardo and Michael. They're going to be down in the basement. Um, we taped this earlier before the catastrophe. And then we're going to be checking in with our good friend Ryan Walsh. Now, Ryan uh, wrote a little book called Astro Weeks, The Secret History of 1968. You heard us talking to him on this podcast. And hopefully you read that book because, for my money, it is one of the best books about rock and roll. Or at least involving rock and roll. Uh that has ever been written. I love this book. Uh, Ryan is a great dude, and and he was. Uh, we're talking to him because he was in Boston at the time that a lot of this was going on. He grew up with morphine, uh, sort of coursing through his veins in the not the drug. Uh, you know, it was in the air. It was in the scene, and uh, so we got a nice little perspective from him on that. Uh, so that's what we're doing, and then I'll uh, talk to you about some uh, life stuff here at the back end. So if you guys are ready to either uh, celebrate morphine or get turned on to it, man. Uh, Let's head on down to the basement and meet my friends Eduardo and Michael as we dig into morphine's masterpiece Cure for Pain 25 years later. This might be trans. How do you classify it? Well... term that Mark Salmon used was low rock, which is a great summary. Is low, that, is that actually low rock. music? Low music? Oh, low I thought, music. I thought it was low. Well, low is a different music entirely, but 
Low Rock yeah. is how I remembered it, but I could have misremembered. Low has a new album. Well, by all accounts, seeing them live was like very much a rock show. I never saw them. I know I didn't. I either. missed out. Nobody ever saw them, <laughs> <laughs> except Brian Walsh. I know, I know, I know two or three people who did who yeah. swear that basically the shows were life. I had tickets to a nine thirty club show, and then the motherfucker died. Oh, and which is awkward because they are one of my favorite bands. Yeah. Um, you guys just want to sort of like work our way through the album, and how do you want to do this? Um, there's highlights, we... obviously. Like how how well known are they to people? Well, like, that's, we we're, to, we're, like, we're gonna give the yeah. background, and, we're, and okay. we're, gonna, we're basically making the case for if you don't fucking know morphine, this is why you should know morphine. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. But I figured kick it off with the song Buena because it's, it's, a, it's a good example, mm-hmm. and, then, and then we'll yeah. just we'll go we'll go where it leads. Spirit um, takes us. And uh, somebody watch the door. <laughs> the water comes in. <laughs> This is we're we're creating a a new uh, sport here, extreme podcasting. <laughs> all these uh, all these little entitled bitches out there with their microphones and their Zoom H twos with only two inputs. Come on, four inputs, fans. H six are out there podcasting, but they don't have water creeping up into them. This is it's like it's like the orchestra at the Oscars with the wrap it up music. So if we go too yeah, yeah, long, yeah. if we go too long, we'll just drown. Like it's like <laughs> it's like it's like a seven uh, murder device. If we can get a sea monster out there, like a Loch Ness monster pops up, that would be that'd be kind of cool. But uh, I think it's appropriate. I think because the band we're talking about is um, is kind of doom and gloom, and is it is in in some ways about the oppressiveness of life, but in many ways it's also about the the beauty that can be found in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking about morphine, this is I I don't know how we've gone 384 episodes now without doing a morphine podcast. Uh, Shame th- on us. Yeah, I mean this is mm-hmm. not just one of the best albums of the 90s. We're talking about it because it's 25 years old. This is one of the best albums. Period. This is this is mm-hmm. a pinnacle, I think, of human achievement, and I I, I don't say that hyperbolically. Um, all these sort of weird magical things sort of collided. Uh, to make this band, which was made up of Mark Salmon, Dana Colley, um, Barry Sachs. Uh, Jerome Dupree played drums on this, but he uh, had some issues, some some legit illness, some addiction, yeah. I think. Um, and Billy Conway then sat right, in for in. a lot of this on yeah. tour. Uh, Mark Sandman, though, being the focus, he was the main songwriter, he was the singer. He also uh, w- was a weird dude who played a two-string slide bass. That he made himself, right? That he made himself, wow. uh, kicking things off in... In about 1989 in Cambridge, Massachusetts, uh, these guys basically, um, they created a whole genre and nobody to date has jumped in. Yeah, they both created it and sort of ended it. Yeah, right. they both created it, it and it epitomized was... it so much that like no one could come along and try to like cop that wave. Yeah, <laughs> it was, yeah. And it's the weirdest thing. I talked with Ryan Walsh about it, which which people listening mm-hmm. just heard about. It. But yeah, it, it it is the weirdest thing because when you think about morphine, you think about like the first time you heard this like super heavy band uh, that you're like, well, why doesn't everything sound like that? <laughs> if you're a music fan, um, yeah. if you if you're a fan of jazz, if you're a fan of of good like just fiction writing, it's just everything that is interesting about fucking life. That, and if attitude. You, if you got a little too, darkness like, in your soul, yeah, 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 yeah it, and it is. But um, but uh, we're gonna dive into Cure for Pain because it is 25. It is such a monolith of an album. And before we do that, I want to kick it off 
by and and I hope somebody listening right now has never heard morphine. <laughs> right. Because um this is gonna blow your fucking mind. Um we're gonna play this is actually track two, but it's really the first track on the album of Cure Pain. And it really in nineteen ninety three signaled a whole different something. Mm, um yeah. and we're gonna come back after this and discuss what that was and how it might have fit in other things, but really uh it's all about Bueno right now. That is, uh, for my money, the heaviest track that I heard uh, in the 90s, maybe to date in my life. Mm. Uh, That is um, totally unique in history as far as what made it on the radio, what made it on the MTV. You just couldn't find it anywhere. In 1993, I want people to think about this, what was going on. Um, We've talked about a lot of these albums. Apparently, 1993 was a badass fucking year, but we've talked about about a lot of the big ones. Um, But... There was weird shit going on that was getting out there. Fish was kicking off. Rift mm-hmm. in 93. Super Chunk on the mouth. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, a, a little album called Pablo Honey. <laughs> Which is, um, but but then, you, then, then you dig a little deeper down into it. You've got Pork Soda by Primus. Yeah. A, a, a massively underrated album. And another massively underrated album, Symphony or Damned. Terrence Trent Darby. Yeah, okay. That yeah. that is the template I think for like even like D'Angelo coming forward. It is a template yeah, for yeah. New Black Soul and like like black hippie stuff. It is it, it's an amazing work. Uh you had Exile and Guyville. Right. Right. In on the Kill Taker, which some people will say is Fugazi's best album. Mm-hmm. Uh Zuropa, which we just talked about. Uh you know, uh, Siamese Dream, fuck that. <laughs> uh, but Last Splash by the Breeders, obviously yeah. uh Nirvana was kicking around with In Utero. An album I hope to get to someday, The Afghan Wigs Gentleman. Um, mm. But then, like, pop shit, like Doggy Style by Snoop Dogg. Mm-hmm. Come on, feel the Lemonheads yeah. uh, was in there. The Lemonheads, yeah. Uh, Cracker Kerosene Hat was that year. Yep. River <laughs> of Dreams by Billy, Billy Joel. Joel. Oh, my God. Huge Tuesday hit, Night <laughs> Music Club by Sheryl Crow. And then you have stuff like Black Sunday by Cypress Hill. Uh, Janet from Janet Jackson. Jackson. Neil Young Unplugged, which I'll cop to this right now, got me into Neil Young. Sure, I was. I was sure. not. So you know, did uh, the Black Crows have a release in '93. No, they did not. Okay. Uh, but Meatloaf sure as hell did. Oh, Bad no. Out of Hell too. <laughs> Back into Hell. Huge album. Uh, Judgment Night, which we're gonna be talking oh, yeah. about. Anna Dine, Uncle Tupelo, Thirteen, oh, Teenage Camp Fan Club, 
laid by James, so tonight that I might see by Mazzy Star, uh, wow. the Black Rider by Tom Waits, Jesus. a tribe <laughs> Midnight Marauders tribe called Quest, um, Diary of a Mad Band, Jodeci. Mm. Wow, Dick's Picks, uh, Volume One, yeah. The Grateful oh, really? Dead. That was ninety three. So this, yeah, think no about shit. that. <laughs> and then and then on top of all that, you have these Stone Cold hits like duets by Frank Sinatra, which was one of the best selling right. albums. Like pretty much ever, uh, twelve inches of snow by Snow. He's not talking about snow. Um, Perverse by Jesus Jones and uh, my eternal favorite, Get a Grip by Aerosmith. Oh boy, comes up every time we talk about nineteen ninety three. My point is, there was some wild shit going on in nineteen ninety three, and this came out and was like, we got to compete with that, and it did. It won because, like, we're not talking about most of those other. Well, immediately the first time. You heard this album; it just cut through so many, so many things, right? And mm-hmm. so, and so, for the people who just who were just heard Morphine for the first time, like you have this really weird aesthetic, right? You have this trio that that it actually sounds somehow smaller than a trio for mm-hmm. like two thirds of the song, right? And then suddenly it sounds like a full on orchestra, but but you've got this like very very confident pronounced drum beat. You've got this like weird sounding bass that's not quite something you've heard before, mm-hmm. and there's. You know, it's really distorted, but also very clean at the same time somehow. And then Mark Sandman's vocals, which yeah. are sort of like, it's just a whole different way of approaching songwriting. It's sort of this, you know, sing-talky kind of quality. He's got that lovely, deep, kind of resonant baritone. And um, and it's just, it's just, you know, we talked about this with television. Like, mm-hmm. it's just cool. Yeah. Right? There's something, there's, there's a quality of coolness that you don't always come across, but when you do, you're just like, oh shit, that's cool. And, yeah, and more and more, like, I don't know how many bands actually have that. Yeah. Um, the only yeah. band I would put actually on par with this, uh, it didn't come out in 93, was uh, Blind Melon Soup. Mm. Uh, again, extremely underrated, but the, like, when you find somebody who gets it, they're like, yes, that is, that is shit. And, and it was because they did something much like Morphine did, much like Telephine, tel- uh, Television did. They just got outside themselves and and like tapped into some fountain of cool. Hmm. So what? Um, when I remember hearing Morphine for the first time, which was actually on the previous record to this, this was their second. Mm-hmm. Oh, so album. you actually okay? This is my first one, but so you yeah. you were you were on board with good. You, you I, heard I, good. I, I yeah. didn't. I was good. Uh, not buena. Good. Uh, no, I, I remember hearing the songs. I didn't own the record, but the first album. But so. What I think about when I think about morphine is the aesthetic of noir. What does it mm-hmm. mean to be noir? To be there's this there's this darkness, this cynicism, but this sort of sexy, uh, entrancing quality to the saxophone and the way Sandman sung and his compositions. And it really he's taken noir, which you t- typically think of as a film genre, but it can really be ascribed to any musical art form. And he made a noir rock album with these unusual bass and sax instrumentation. And it really, it is, I mean, there's a song that we've got up on the screen right now. Let's take a trip together. It is really a trip. Uh, I mean, sonically and songwriting wise, he just had a very unmistakably unique artistic vision. And the reason that no one else has, has sort of modeled themselves after Morphine is I don't think it's really a replicable model, either because of the way the instruments are working together or because you... It's just a songwriting aesthetic that is really hard to come by without seeming like you're. Um, uh, it's an effect. I mean, it looks yeah, like an yeah. effect it, when you put a noir. It feels often, on a it lot feels of often like prose being plugged into like a songwriting well, type I, deal. You, you but, think like like the hard boiled kind of fifties, right. sixties mm-hmm. detective fiction, you know, cynical and 
and you know people are always betraying one another. I mean, that's the kind of fiction writer Mark Sandman was, but he was a rock song. He was a rock song, right? I, I love that you use, use the word sexy in there because in in noir films, and and you can hear like the radio plays that they play on like NPR every Sunday night and stuff. There's always a dame. Oh, there's, there's always, always a dame, a dame and it's <laughs> a dame morphine getting song. And a dame, a dame getting and and, and morphine, morphine is lousy with dames from the, the, the <laughs> start the start to finish. And trouble is dames that are breaking his heart is dames, and it's not misogynistic. It's dames that are married to other dudes. Dames that, that are married that to other dudes. It's always it is. I mean, it, it it is like basically expanding this universe of cinema that was is long gone by the time that they're doing this mm-hmm. stuff. Um, you know, you hear. People, maybe Tarantino. No, I don't even. Who does noir? Well, like you know, you've seen some Scorsese stuff. I mean, like, 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 but like once Ro- in a while, Robert Rodriguez was kind yeah. of noir influence coming around that time. Yeah, and, yeah. But so, I mean, as a film genre, there's like a lot of tropes that you can call into when you're mm-hmm. making a noir uh, accentuated movie, and you can see it even today. Like I was watching The Expanse, and The Expanse, which is a science mm. fiction thing, yeah. starts as like a noir detective story. It's just set on space stations. Uh, but I mean, noir has been taken to a lot of genres, you know, uh, Blade Runner, Blade Runner's yeah. and Blade noir Runner's story, yeah. of course. But I mean, the way that Sandman wrote is like, there's, there's the betrayal, there's the temptation, there's always something tempting him that is down the path towards sin, yeah. down the path toward betraying Sin something. with a capital S. Oh yeah. And, and there's also, there's this, and the name implies it just from the name of the band, there's this frequent conflation between sexual attraction and the allure of drugs and sometimes you can't tell if he's singing about a woman candy or if he's singing about uh an allusion to or to drugs yeah. uh, and so there's that weird kind of thing where the attraction to whatever is pulling him downward into that spiral of sort of self-loathing that kind of creeps into a lot of the music is something that's from a person or from another thing that's attracting him in that direction you yeah. I was going to say, you did hit on something really, you know, between the point about the sort of sultry, sexy qualities earlier and um, and the way he tells stories. I think, you know, all of these stories are sort of, um, there's an earthy quality to this, and, and, and maybe that's not the right word, but they're all sort of very much grounded in the idea that we are kind of uh, flesh and bones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and and there, there was this great quote that I remember, and I, I might have said this before on a different episode, but I think it was from Will Sheff from, Ar- from Ockerville River. Mm. And he was talking about uh, issues with sort of current indie uh, songwriting, and he basically said, like, you know, no one uses "fuck" as a verb, and they and and they don't mean it if they do, yeah. right? Like, it's like all these bands are so twee and sort of so desexualized that you don't get the feeling that they fuck. And to sort uh, of to quote the current the current Twitter uh, sweetheart, uh, this band fucks. <laughs> this band fucks. Morphine definitely <laughs> or, fucks. Or, or to put that, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, Chris Richards' uh, criticism of Arcade Fire. There is a sense that, like, if, you know, if, if if Mark Sandman sees you at a bar and he starts talking to you, uh, you're going to end up fucking him, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You <laughs> like, probably are. And 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 um, you know, and there's also a remarkable uh, uh sense, almost like Catholic guilt, uh, right? In these songs, oh, yeah, it's like because because yeah. the sin is not enough. It's that it's that he's singing about it and telling you a story of like, I, I'm scared of this. I feel mm-hmm. bad about it. But, yeah, 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 yeah. But. Yeah, he's gonna do it anyways. Yeah. Uh, on um, uh, song you mentioned, let's take a trip together. I think this is a, this is probably the most. The the tales are all all noir on this album. To be clear, they later mm-hmm. jump into later in their career, especially on like swimming. Um, they jump into more uh, almost like Talking Heads, like mm. and she was, and yeah. uh, yeah, stay yeah. up late and stuff. But this is uh, this is a pure shot of, of morphine, pun intended. Let's take a trip. Together. 
headlong into the irresistible orbit. A song called "Let's Take a Trip Together." You are going with the dude, and <laughs> and so is you know. There's this allure that Sandman always makes, even when it's clear that everything he's talking about is a really bad idea. He's got, like you said earlier, he's got that sense of guilt, but he's not willing to turn away from the temptation. And and so you see that in this song. You hear that in um, Candy, where Candy is either a woman or a metaphor for drugs or something like that, mm-hmm. but. Uh, he's always gonna. He's he sees the darkness that lies ahead of him, but he's always gonna step towards the darkness. Yeah, and and so Sandman. I mean, it's really hard to imagine what kind of brain decides. You know, this is the way I'm gonna write my rock record. I mean, there's some Tom Waits influences that you hear, mm-hmm. especially in in that particular song. But there really wasn't. I mean, it's really hard to think of comps for Morphine. Like you don't think. Recommended if you like kind of bands, because there's not a lot of bands like Morphine. I think you can pick out writers that are like him. You know, Waits is a good one, a songwriter, but like Philip Roth. He's yeah, doing I think stuff fiction like that. writers, yeah. especially yeah, short fiction, fiction writers. writers. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think Faulkner even gets up in oh, there, even though there's yeah. not a Southern thing. It's the the precision of his his language as far mm-hmm. as describing the stuff is is very Faulkner esque. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, and it 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 creates this. Um, I think to the casual listener might create this sort of um, disjointed, like, like, because first of all, you have to like jazz. I, I, I think, right. I think we can, or you have to that. want to like jazz. <laughs> you have to want to like jazz. Right. Okay. okay. You have, you have to yeah, think yeah. of yourself as the person who, as a type well, of person, as, as who person who likes jazz. Jazz. You have to want to imagine yourself in a dark jazz club and think, yeah. That's the vibe I'm looking for, whether or not it's a jazz band. Cause if right. that's the vibe, cause right. if you heard all the albums that I mentioned and then you're thinking like, what's this hot new album? And you put this on, if you don't want to like jazz, this is your parents. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, but 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 the fact that there's um that it's so hard to come up with with other musical comps also I think I think I think where morphine just got kind of uniquely slotted into my uh end of high school life um is that it was um if you hung out with with people in large groups who were all from sort of different tribes or different cultures no one would object to morphine. Right. Like you couldn't, you know, like the goth kids wanted one thing, the punk kids wanted something else and the indie kids wanted a third. And like and like maybe sometimes Jane's addiction could sort of thread the needle there or something like that. But but for the most part, if you put on morphine, like everyone was fine with it. And um, and it it was just and and, and there were very few bands that you could sort of 
uh, get a consensus from everyone in a large group uh, uh, to put on. Um, and uh, um, the uh, the thing about about this album in particular is that I think unlike you know if I'd if I'd heard good mm-hmm. before this, um, I don't know how um, it's it's you know I think I think this album does I think good is challenging in some respects because it's a it punk has, album. It's it has a lot less colors to it too. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. it's just a much starker mm-hmm. recording than this. This has like a kind of a pop instinct that maybe you don't hear as much on on good. I mean, maybe on saddest song or something like that, you get a, a sense of it. But 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 good. The centerpiece is "You Look Like Rain," right? Which mm-hmm. is uh, which is a which is a very just difficult song to put on around people because it's <laughs> because. The recording itself is challenging. The sax is really loud, and unless you have a good subwoofer, like you're going to lose the bass. And um, but but this album, from a production standpoint, from the packaging, we were talking about the Ryko case and yeah. that feeling of like uh, it, it just something about the way the CD was packaged just denoted yeah. quality, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the the image on the cover is is either waves breaking or or the sun breaking through the clouds. However you want to yeah yeah you know, perceive it. Um, you know, uh, either way. Like I've always taken it as an epiphany, and then oh. it's an epiphany of like if you've ever uh, either abused morphine or had to have it because uh, you had to uh, have heart surgery, you know that it it will it will um it, it's an experience. It, it is it is an experience. I've done both. So <laughs> I'm um I'm I'm trying to become a liver donor, so maybe I'll maybe yeah. I'll get to find out in, in recovery yeah, yeah, from surgery. Yeah, you probably will. And, <laughs> so. and and there's a reason that, that it is uh considered it's a timeless drug, if you will. It is I'm thinking uh, Jillian Welsh right now. Yeah. yeah. Morf- her song Morphine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Me, me and my morphine. Me and yeah. My morphine. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 pure bliss. Yeah. And it's pure bliss before uh the uh the insidious they weaponized it into Oxycontin. Right. Uh, it, it is. Uh, it is what, in many, also in many cases, gets back to like the uh, romantic poets and stuff. Like drugs like this, you know, is absent in, in a lot of the cases. But drugs like this hmm. drove creativity. Hmm. You know, yeah, I, th- oh, I think I think this is where the lo- idea, lotus eaters. And, yeah, I yeah. think this is where the idea of like you have to be miserable or down to be creative and stuff. Because if you were on morphine all the time. Like you seemed that way. You weren't. You were in this fucking perfect state of bliss. Yeah, yeah you were. You were doing fine. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but uh, you know, in that state of bliss, I think you you did you made a lot of mistakes, and that that is also in this album. Before we get into uh, two songs later on, that I think, um, well, the title track for one. Sure. But I, there's another song in there that really uh, blows open the range of this band, the range of him as a writer. Uh, and is it is to my mind one of the most heartbreaking songs uh, that I've ever heard. Uh, I think I know what song you're talking about. Yeah, I think yeah. you do. But uh, but um, but I want I want to stick around the noir thing mm. because Sandman, you know, is still telling his stories throughout this album, and and it gets into a story about like a hookup, <laughs> infidelity, mm-hmm. and, every and, Thursday, Thursday, and, and the every violence Thursday, and the Thursday. violence that yeah. that he says in his words is perfectly echoed in the music here. Uh, the name of the song is Thursday and it sounds like this. We used to meet every Thursday, Thursday, Thursday in the afternoon For a couple of beers Then a game of pool We used to go to a motel, a motel, a motel across the street Then the name of the motel was a wagon wheel 
come on. She said, why don't you come back to my house? She said, my husband's out of town. You know he's gone till the end of the month. Well, I was just so nervous, so nervous. You know I couldn't really quite relax. Cause I was never really quite sure when a husband was coming back. Uh, that's clearly such a relatable song for most of us. I mean, who, who among us hasn't um, had an affair with uh, the wife of a connected guy? And uh, Dangerous and jealous, man. Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, look, man, just move to Roanoke. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not even that's kidding. Where, that's where, that that's is, where uh, the story ends well, up. Well, and this is actually, we, we listen to this album in, incessantly in Roanoke on, on mm-hmm. a bunch of drugs. And, and, and uh, because it was relatable in a redneck way. <laughs> yeah well it has this quality of like um you know there's there's so much in that in that little story right there's there's what, what mike alluded to earlier the idea that like he sees that he's about to make a mistake and he can't stop himself um even as he's delivering the sort of the morality uh tale at the end of just uh you know i should have kept it to every thursday 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 in the <laughs> afternoon um he, he he can't help but throw in a like but she was really cool <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right like but like it was totally worth it and i regret nothing <laughs> which is which is just such a great like to to jam that like if you were to see the lyrics of that song printed out it's probably like 120 words maybe <laughs> yeah right and there is so much so much in there and, and like 50 of them are cool right <laughs> right <laughs> And the other, the other, another thirty or Thursday, <laughs> so, but 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 no, it's a great it's a great thing um, uh, to um, to think about from the from the standpoint that I think uh, we I think we've been painted uh, um, we on the podcast have been have been painted as being a little unnecessarily contrarian because we talked about Zeropa or Pablo Honey or whatever mm-hmm. have we and. I don't know. I think I think people oh. assume sometimes we're sort of trolling musical tastes by by talking. I just about assume it. people thought we had good taste, but that's <laughs> not there. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, people are often wrong about about things. Yeah, uh, but uh, especially other people, <laughs> right? But 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 make no mistake, like this is this is this is the obvious morphine record to love, and it is for a very good reason, which is that it's the fucking the their best record. Um, yeah. yeah, clearly, and and Thursday is not representative of it, but 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 the chaotic nature of that song the way that they do so much with that with that small trio and they create this feeling of like anxiety i mean it's a really anxious sounding song right yeah i mean um so so it it creates this tension using um the sparse arrangement i mean that that in and of itself if you are i think if you're listening to a jazz trio you expect it right Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. if there are no vocals on this you'd be like okay this makes a lot of sense and it's a little it's minor key so it's a little edgy and stuff but but then you put narration on top of it, and it is very, uh, and still to this day, after hearing this album hundreds of times, very disorienting because you have what is this, you know, it could be like bop jazz almost, and, and this guy talking to you in this very seductive, deep voice yeah, and telling you about this thing that you're like, and by, by the second verse, you're like, I, I kind of want to live that life. <laughs> yeah. I, kinda, I mean, it's how you get lost in a book. Right, right, right. Because because you want to know, like, well, how does this guy have time to shoot pool every Thursday? Afternoon? <laughs> right? Like, what is Chapter this? Twenty four. What is this uh, life? In the afternoon only. Maybe he works yeah. mornings on Thursdays. Oh, right. Maybe he's a stevedore of some. <laughs> um, but but th- but there was, I think, ultimately a mission uh, to morphine, and, and I I think part of it was for Sandman to uh, get his writing out. Like, so he he didn't publish books, mm-hmm. but he obviously wrote a lot. Um, and there's a lot of material that just never got made. 
but it, it the mission I think was to uh to sort of get in touch with this idea of loss um and and find help uh find hope and helplessness and um and on this album this is why this album persists and the others don't because every song feeds into it you can't take a song out of this album and and the album will work every song is a part of of every other song right down to the last song miles davis's funeral yep um which is like hilarious because he's like did we make a jazz record right did we did we literally put him in the ground or is this you know somebody who who the guy who was at the bar who experienced all this drinking his rye and he's (laughs) and he's just lamenting these are all the experiences he had like when thinking about or listening to miles davis but that finding hope and the hopelessness uh shows up on two songs the title track and the song about the play (laughs) In spite of me, I, I, I'll put in the show notes. I think it was used in a film to great effect uh, recently, or really? relatively recently, like ten years. Hmm. Um, this is the type of song, much like the Smiths' uh, "Please, please, please, let me get what I want." Mm-hmm. This is a, a song that rarely gets made because I think people are rarely brave enough to just put this. It's just raw, yeah, and. Um, and to do it, he put down the bass. He put down all the instrumentation yeah. and uh, found the guy um, in Boston uh, to play mandolin and multi-track. It's, it's gorgeous, but this is, uh, is inspiring. Last night I told a stranger all about you. This smiled patiently with disbelief. Eduardo, wipe away your tears. <laughs> that's, that's heavy, man. That's that song featured on like every breakup mix I ever made. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. heavily. I mean, that yeah. that is, um, and and that's a classic, right? Yep. That you you've heard a song like that before. You've heard people do it. Um, don't think twice. It's all right. Don't think twice. Ooh, it's all right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Which is clearly look. I mean, it's not like they're in a vacuum. Right. Like salmon is. I, he's got his eye on Dylan. Everybody had their eye on Dylan, right? It's like, it's like Dylan went off and did this weird Christian shit, and we're just gonna like do this. 
<laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it, it's such a it's just a pure shot of of vulnerability and emotion, and um, and uh, it's comforting though. Yeah, it's a really sweet, soothing song. It it has the it really jumps out at you. It's sort of like smack dab in the middle of the record, and you've been hearing nothing but kind of like, you know, the sort of bass drums, baritone sax for about 25 minutes at that point, maybe 22 minutes or so. And suddenly this just very sweet mandolin comes in and uh, all these like earnest feelings, right? And it's not about trying to be cool yeah. or whatever. It's just like vulnerable and and really sad. Yeah. 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 Because you don't know what happened. Mm-hmm. Right. It doesn't matter. Right. Right, no, it's a, it's a, um, and and how, and how long is the song? It's like it's like two minutes and like like fifteen that, seconds yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, as, a, as like just like Smith song. Right, there's, there's just a, straight to the straight to the uh, point, and then get in and out, and and make you make your heart hurt. It is now. It is you know. Uh, uh, it it seems important to me that like the first real song on Good is is that is the saddest song, uh, the saddest song song. Um, <laughs> Which, which, which basically is, is sort of like, almost like this, like braggadocio of like, yep, like you think, you think you know about being sad? Like we're going to call our song the saddest song, right? Yeah. And then we're going to... Heaven knows I'm miserable now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you don't have a two string bass. No. Like, and, and for the record, I don't think I've ever said this on the podcast. I, I pretty much fucking hate the Smiths. I, I, I also don't like the Smiths, but because they had I, great song titles. They did have great song they titles, did. but like, they, I just never felt their pain. I was like, "Stop whining, Morrissey!" Like, <laughs> please, except for except for like a few songs. Uh, was it uh, "Real Around the Fountain"? I, I can mm. get down with that. Um, but uh, but it, it brings us to the title track of this album. The whole point of this album, the manifesto for the band, the manifesto maybe. for the band. Yeah. I think, and and tragically, um, uh, just the. Uh, the period on the narrative, the full stop on mm. it. Um, you know, after this album, they did uh, three more albums. Yes, in 1995, which I don't think was that well received. Yes. I think people heard. Y- yeah. So, yes, had Honey White on it. It did. And that yeah. got a lot of radio play, at least in college stations. But I didn't think it was as distinctive a record. And it was more like know. good. It was, yeah, it was more yeah. like good, the record good. It was, um, it was a good record. It was just not as resonant an album as Cure for Pain is. Yeah, there's there's a song or two on Yes that's I think all um all your way is on Yes, and that song really that song stayed with me. I'd I'd forgotten about it completely, and it came up on shuffle like I don't know four or five years ago, and now I listen to it once a month. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great. Yeah, and I'd, I'd I'd totally forgotten it existed, right? Um, but yeah, they didn't, and they and they put out a couple of live things, yeah. right? So. Yeah, and they have a B-Sides compilation, which I own, and is actually really quite good. It has mm-hmm. some of the work they did for soundtracks, which is actually pretty good. They did some covers, and they did some stuff that was only on movie soundtracks, mm-hmm. and it's got some interesting things on it. But there's not a record that is as coherent and uh, as persuasive as Cure for Pain is. And, and that work came out of, uh, so after Yes, they signed with DreamWorks, Katzenberg's. Uh, yep. It was a DKG. Yeah. It was Katzenberg, Spielberg, and uh, yep. Geffen. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like swimming is a very odd album. Yeah. Uh, because and that's what I referenced it earlier. It is very much uh, taking the uh, weird, like sort of almost like Afro uh, centric rhythms that Talking Heads employed on Little Creatures, mm-hmm. but 
plugging in sax to them and stuff, and, and they're playing around with stuff. I think the night, which was not, um, was sadly finished without him, mm-hmm. right? Um, is beyond cure for pain. Their masterpiece. Uh, it shows the maturity of a band, but it also was uh, appropriately the band at their end because um, Salmon died of a heart attack on stage in in Palestrina, Italy, mm-hmm. on July third, nineteen ninety nine. This was a they toured the world and they found these people that were just like, "You're the truth," and they made them feel yeah. like family. And then and you'll find all of this. You watch the, there's a documentary called Cure for Pain um, that uh, I think the back half of that documentary really covers how important this this place was to them um and it it indicated that like salmon was more like searching for uh like what is music the bigger questions yeah and and that's what these people celebrated there hmm. like for them this was just like this was gospel this was music from the heavens this hmm. wasn't i mean it's in the middle of nowhere it's on top of a mountain it's a tiny village, and you go there and stay. They went there and stayed, <laughs> you know. And they and yeah. they did this repeatedly. Like this is once they went there, they were like, "Yes, we're going to go back." It wasn't a tour stop. It was like a, a, a getting in touch with a, a load line or or whatever. Um, and he couldn't have known that that was around when he wrote this album. But the line in "Cure for Pain," uh, someday there'll be a cure for pain. That's the day I'll throw my drugs away. Mm-hmm. Is um, I, it's everything. I yeah yeah. It it just speaks to a very basic aspect of the human condition, which is which is not even that like it's also like the first rule of Buddhism, which is that life is suffering, right? <laughs> right? Like like this isn't like this isn't like a newfangled or sort of like a even like a kind of a Western uh, invention. This is this is this is something that's fundamental to the human condition, which is that being alive is kind of terrible mm-hmm. all the time and like yeah life is about this constant negotiation with the universe to like broker some some peace and to find some like you know a little bit of real estate that that allows you mm. to sort of like go about the business of being or becoming you mm. not not that i was thinking about it until just a moment ago but kevin when you talked about the record label that they signed to later in their career mm-hmm. uh dreamworks it reminded me of a of another carlary and the idea of life is endless suffering and the 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 goal of escaping the pain somehow. Another band on DreamWorks was the Eels, and the first record yeah. of Eels started with Novocaine for the Soul, the idea yeah. that yep. life is miserable, and, and if only there was something to numb the pain of existing. And of course, you know, Mark uh, Oliver Everett had a lot of, uh, right. has a lot of issues <laughs> yes. of his own and personal Indeed. fame and such. I hadn't realized that Eels actually have some interesting musical... Uh, you know, touchstones that Morphine shared at some points, they liked they liked a low end in their early records. They liked a very heavy bass tone mm-hmm. and a not particularly funky, but very low end tone to the music that was you know, kind of outside of white guy rock music at that time. Yeah. Um, but there's the idea of trying to escape the pain of existence, that's a sort of a thread that you catch in Morphine and in the early Eels album and later in, um, uh, uh, well, the, the, the really miserable one. <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a third band that I would situate there, and I think Kevin hates them. So, Kevin, you can just close your ears for a moment. But, um, but I, think, I think Soul Coughing is maybe the third oh, band no. that kind of 
that kind of ends up in this. And 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 whatever you think about yeah. about I admire late, Mike Doughty's skills. Whatever you think about late career, whatever Doughty became after you know those those first couple of records, there yeah. was there was a way in which they were trying yeah. to build a musical idiom that was outside of white guy rock. I think is the phrase you used. Which yeah, is, yeah. So uh, there, yeah. So all, in a further relevant detail from that kind of era, there was a kind of a period where there were men in white indie rock college rock at the time that were kind of exploring Laosh kind of, you know, yeah. self-loathing kind of themes. Afghan wigs were in there at that yeah, time sure. and like, you know, tales of sort of sordid, uh, and Afghan, sort- Afghan, Afghan wigs were the bands, the band that was in the gutter. In the gutter. That's yeah. They were yeah. in the gutter. Yeah, they were wearing a but, suit, but they were still in the gutter. Morphine is, lo- morphine is looking at the stars, you know? Yeah. They're, yeah. So, yeah, Afghan wigs, you know, like, things are miserable. We're, we're kind of evil, gross human beings. We're going to ter- do terrible yeah. things to one another, and we're going to loathe ourselves for it. And Mark Sandman had some of that, but there was this there's yearning for transcendence that you catch in Cure for Pain in the song. You see it in the album art, which I agree is like the sun breaking through a clouds. That's how I always saw it. Uh, but it's like there's this idea that just somewhere out there there's something that'll help you escape from the awful misery of of living and and all these terrible things you're doing to yourself and to other people which is sort of the recurring lyrical theme of this record yeah doing terrible things to yourself and other people and wishing that there was a way out of it well and (laughs) and 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 the um beautiful irony of this song is that it is the cure for pain i i I think i i I can't speak for you guys but uh you know at my lowest points, I've been able to put this song on, or at least hear it resonating, mm-hmm. and and be like, oh, like there's a little point in light, there's a little point in light, there's a little point. In light. Uh, so let's stop fucking around and play it. Uh, so, and again, if this is the first time you're hearing about morphine, holy fuck, dudes, you, we're gonna play the whole song because it deserves it. Good.
There's, it's it's difficult uh, to write uh, a song that celebrates being a fuck up without having it turn into like this sort of like douchey self congratulatory thing. Like there's a fine line that you're walking there when yeah. you're gonna write a song that's basically saying, uh, you know, with a line, "I propose a toast to my self control." Uh, see it lying helpless on the floor. Um, and uh, and it's really easy. Most people who try to do this end up on the wrong side of that line. They end up sounding kind of um, just sad or unhealthy or deranged or just like people who don't really have a problem and are making fun of people who do have problems. And and this song plays like none of that. It's just it's one of those weird, um, you know, it's a song that you can that you can put on uh, when you're when you're feeling kind of the, the pain of life and you want to and you want to work through it. It's a song that you can put on when you've had too much to drink and you need to be yep. reminded that it's OK to have had, you know, four whiskeys on a Tuesday night or something like that. <laughs> well, um, I, I think, I think w- what you're getting at actually is um, what I think was Sandman's philosophy, whether you want to call it like Buddhist or whatever it was. Cause I, you know, the more, the more 25 years on, like uh, uh, for me, this is religion. This is the religious time. Yeah. Like this is, this is a lot of music. Um, people who saw them live said it was a religious experience. Yeah, I, never, I, I, I knew a handful of people who saw them, and they all swore that it was one of the best shows of their lives. You know, and th- I don't think that's blasphemy. I, I think, like, if you figure out what religion is, it's literally just going out people preaching truth. Yep. And so, it, whether that comes like in a pulpit, like twenty hours for Aretha's funeral, which she deserved, <laughs> <laughs> or or you know a, a nice ninety minute set at a, at a, a, the Middle East in Boston, mm. but but I think. What this reveals and why this is such a uh, such a powerful song, a powerful album, is that last when I throw my drugs away, he's talked himself out of it, and that might only be for that day, right? He's like, "I'm gonna throw my drugs away," yeah. right? And, <laughs> yeah. and 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 it might it might just be for twenty four hours. It might just be for a month. Might be for like ten minutes, mm-hmm. but the point is, is it it shows that he recognizes that he's singing about all these problems that he has, and all these or the character has, and all these things on the album sort of add up to that. Like if if you take this album as concept and one character, like what is he doing? He's like he's like sleeping with married women. He's doing drugs. <laughs> he's like he he's a fucking wreck, dude. <laughs> but but at the end of it. He's giving himself the gift of saying, "But I'm a good person, and I'm trying." And, and that is like a, a seriously important message that you don't expect in music that's dark. You know, but people spend too much time like down, like I'm dark. I'm listening to dark music <laughs> and stuff. And and this is just like, hey man, yeah. But it acknowledges like I'm dark. Because I kind of hate myself, but I am good, and I think I'm going to get better. And and there's a song that they place at the beginning of the album, which we haven't talked about yet, which is I'm Free Now, yeah. which has this this message of total liberty and this idea of just basically saying, like, everything is so fucked up that I'm completely free, right? So I'm free to, to direct a movie, sing a song, or write a book about yours truly. Yeah. 
and I'm interesting and I'm great, but I'm also just a fuck up. Yeah, so. and, and the song after that though, it, like, is his vices, like all wrongs. Like she had a smile yeah. that swerved all over the road. Yeah. That is not a line you say about somebody you don't want to fuck. <laughs> <laughs> like, right, like, right. So, like that is just not a line because that that's a, that's one of the sexiest lines ever written. I yep. mean, that, it, and it it gets back to the noir. It gets back to everything. It's like that's how you said back in the day when you couldn't get it past the censors. You say something like that, but really, what you're saying, like, God damn, I want to fuck. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, when when you think back to that noir, there's always that the woman who draws you down the wrong path, mm-hmm. and you know, there's in Sandman's lyrics, there's always like, which is something l- that draws you down the wrong path. Let's distinguish though, like that 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 is a. Uh, can be a, a, it's a it's it can a, be misogynist yeah misogynistic myth I don't I don't think it is here yeah, I, th- I, I think I it's think just it's a, I think it's a lyrical it's a songwriting trope trope not in a bad way like he's copying other people but like it is a style of telling a story that existed you know back in the days it's in the Bible it's in film noir it's in Raymond Carver it's like it's a, it's a style where you know there's someone who's kind of walking that thin line between making the right choice and the wrong choice. And then there's always something that pulls him down the wrong direction, and in Sandman, it's 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 typically it's a it's the dame, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's a it's you know that temptation, and and I don't think there's really anyone who kind of made that seem as kind of both attractive, but also saw it with such clear eyes lyrically. Like he wasn't glamorizing bad behavior. Heaven no, he was actually talking about how how it could wreck you, but he yeah. also was making it seem attractive at the same time. And so that was, we were getting out with Thursday, Thursday in the afternoon, but you know, there's also the candy, which we haven't played yet, but I mean, like it's, it's alluring. He's, he's recognizing the allure of these temptations and he also knows how bad they are for him. And I was thinking about the, you know, the sort of the um, flip side of that kind of is, and I thought about it just because they have saxophone solos, Roxy music, because Brian Mm -hmm. Ferry, also a very sexy singer with a resonant voice. Singing lot, about a lot of fucked up a lot things. Of fu- yeah. A lot of fucked up relationships, a lot of bad choices, but made it oh so glamorous with yeah. fancy cars and beautiful clothing. And, and you know, it was always playing up the glamour of these bad choices, sort of cocaine 70s Britain so, or whatever. So my thing with Roxy music that, that, that I think Morphine like just like conquered and, and surpassed is that usually when you see people doing this and stuff, it is speaking to a, a teenage audience. Hmm. Um, and, and, you know, in the conversation, which listeners heard with Ryan and stuff, um, Ryan Walsh, he said something that, uh, 25 years unlocked this album in a very different way for me. He said, hearing this made him think, oh, this is what it's like to be an adult. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's, that's spot on. And and I don't, and I don't know what. That means like why why it makes you feel that way. But once he said it, I was like, yeah. So Roxy music sounds like rock and roll. It sounds like it sounds like uh, not artifice, but it sounds like it sounds like entertainment. This sounds yeah. like just like like gospel to me. Yeah, it's got a lot more grit to it. There's you know there's a lot of very um, pedestrian kind of levels of detail that he's very careful to include, like the the name of the motel and the fact that they mm-hmm. play pool. It's not a upper class glamorized, valorized kind of life of, uh, and maybe that's it. Yeah. And, and that's maybe that's kind of the social economic milieu that these kind of stories of betrayal and temptation kind of occur in. It's not a glamorous life. 
You know, it's the opposite of a Roxy Music kind of record. Well, the, yeah. the 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 fact that the hotel name isn't like altered to like fit into the rhyming structure of <laughs> the song. That's what I love about that. It's the just wagon right, it's, wheel. it's great, and it's but it's also but like the fact that it's delivered that way and it doesn't rhyme, like like the unspoken quality of that line is like, you know, look, that's how life is, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> I wish we were having an affair at some place that like we're like you know metronomically appropriate for the song but that, that that's just we were at the wagon wheel and it makes no sense it doesn't rhyme but that was the name of the hotel and i have to tell you that and so. it, it also is one of the greatest demonstrations of why salmon was uh one of music's great artists one of his great songwriters um everybody in this band like some something gelled some yeah. something happened here that we're going to be talking about 50 years from now and like like say no, I'm not even going to. That's mean. <laughs> but, you know, but, but we are. This is a thing that somebody's going to discover. Yeah. Uh, and they're going to be like, what is this? And it'll still be relevant because the human condition uh, doesn't change. Was the intro to Fallout 3? It's like, war, war never changes. <laughs> you know, and, you know, it, it, but, but it's true. And, and, uh, you know, degeneracy, heartache, addiction self-loathing like those things don't change yeah yeah and it, it, it just occurred to me you know why has no one ever thought take some of sandman's lyrics put them into a narrative form and write a movie with these characters why has no one ever done that i i hope you're listening hollywood because i'm, I'm serious hollywood those are, are you listening those are film scripts right yeah there. they are they you, are, you yeah. could and, and not just this album and, and that's when I was talking about the night, I love the night. The night is so mm -hmm. um, the the song itself. Like, just starts like the way Dana Coll. It's just it. It's a jazz record. It just is a jazz record. Yeah. Um, that was marketed as, as like in in the, what the fuck? Like, how did you even put this stuff out? But but isn't that what all great albums are? Mm -hmm. Think about like Stevie Wonder songs in the key of life. Mm -hmm. Go on. Movie script. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. It is. Yeah. It's a full, yeah, it's a full Talking story. Talking about or yeah. any Steve Wonder yeah. albums. Yeah. You know, you know, uh, Neil Young, Harvest. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's... Everybody a, there's, knows there's nowhere. Like, there's definitely sort of a kind of a... Led Zeppelin uh, 4. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not familiar with, the, with that band's work. Uh, Tell me more. <laughs> um, no, there's a, there's a definite, like... Um, Sort of uh, Chekhovian or like Richard Yates, mm -hmm. you know, sort of like someone who writes very good, tight, short stories, and um, and it's and it's an it's a it's a really brief album. I don't think we've said that yet, right? It's yeah. like it's like forty minutes. Yeah, it goes by quickly, and the first song is just a little short instrumental, so it's kind of it's over and done in forty five seconds or whatever. And it's a short it's a short song. Some of the most affecting, sorry, it's a short album. Some of the most affecting songs are only about three minutes long. Yeah, it's not gonna over. It's not a you know a a Kamasi Washington. The there's epic. no jam. <laughs> yeah, there, there's no, no jam. No, there isn't. Yeah, you know, or if there it's is jam, tight. it is. It's a really it, tight it, it is a cano, like in the true <laughs> jam a cano in, in, yeah. in, in the truest sense of the world. Mm -hmm. But uh, at any rate, I hope we have convinced you guys. Uh, first, I hope we have like re-triggered a love for this album because uh, it took a long time for us to talk about it, and, uh, and now we've done it. I'm like, I could talk. About, we could have an entire series on this but uh and if you haven't heard it uh like i hope you dig in and and holy fuck email any of us and just be like hey man <laughs> <laughs> this is this is amazing or if you haven't listened to it forever just fucking 
dig in because it is um, for me, and I think for you guys too. I think one of the this is one of the bonuses of being alive now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is a top ten. How, like however you characterize that desert island, whatever. Like this mm-hmm. is this is one of those albums for me for sure. Yeah. Thank you guys for sitting in. Uh, now we have to go tend to my flooding basement. Yeah. Uh, and I, couldn't, we'll, I couldn't hear you over the rush of water. Yeah, coming. we'll be back in a few short minutes to uh, close this out. Morphine's cure for pain. I hope uh, I hope we did it justice talking about it. We could probably talk about it for a couple hours more. The important thing is that if you are if you love this album as much as we do, put it on now. Just go, or maybe in twenty minutes. But uh, put it put it on and listen to it. Enjoy it. It doesn't um, it doesn't get old. It's timeless. It's perfect. Um, and it is uh, is a monumental achievement. And if if you are just coming to Morphine, man, you are having a good hour. Uh, I am I'm envious uh, because this is just some stuff that you, um, man, you're in for a ride. Uh, dig into Cure for Pain, dig into Good, dig into Yes, dig into Night, the album they finished uh, posthumously from uh, Salmon. Uh, dig into the the documentary Cure for Pain, dig into the live stuff. Just dig in and dig it all because it's all um, fantastic and it's some of my favorite stuff ever put on on wax or really out into the universe before we get out of here i want to give you guys a uh slightly different perspective on all of this you know you heard us mention that none of us had seen uh morphine in fact and in fact i actually saw the twineman which was the band that the remaining members put together shortly after salmon's death but um yeah i just it sometimes bands like this slip through your fingers which is why uh always 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 go to the show uh, but uh, our, our friend of the podcast, Ryan Walsh, uh, he did not have the experience. He saw them. He interacted with them. He, you know, lived in Boston, grew up in Boston. They were from Boston, um, and uh, and he loves this album as much, if not more, than we do. Uh, so we want to talk to him about that experience. So Ryan Walsh, welcome back to the podcast. I, um, you know, you wrote a book about a magical album, and I think that uh, given that we're going to be discussing a magical album today, another magical album, it is only fair to have you on. Um, also, you're from Boston. Yeah, so I, have, I, a- I, I, I am from Boston, and I kind of have a local connection to this album. And it's an album that's you know got to be right up there. Uh, I don't like to keep precise lists, but it's, it's definitely up yeah. there with, with all of my all-time favorites. It's, 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 a, it's a weird album in that if you, if you say – Cure for pain to somebody. I mean, generally, if you say morphine, but I think really, if you say cure to pain to somebody, you see this like just firework go off in their eye, like somewhere back in the in the uh, synapses, and they're just like, "Oh, that album." Yeah. Um, you actually had you got to see him, which I never did. Sure. I mean, yes. Um, someone turned me on. It was definitely cure for pain that started it, mm-hmm. and I was in high school and. When I realized they were local, I started <laughs> seeing them right away. So I was like, yeah. I think I was sneaking out of my parents' house during the senior year of high school, which would have been 97, to go see them at the Middle East downstairs. Yeah. 
and I think I saw them four or five times total, and I saw Mark Sandman solo at the Middle East upstairs once. So when you're sneaking out to are you are you playing in bands at this point? Like like how? Because I'm always interested to find out like how this band. It's sort of like they say the Pixies. Everybody who saw the Pixies or heard the Pixies, they went out and started a band. And I feel like Morphine is one of those bands. You know, it's interesting if you read kind of the story of the Pixies, or at least that oral biography mm-hmm. that uh, Josh Frank wrote. Frank Black makes it pretty clear they had no interest in being hometown heroes. Their yeah, goal yeah. was to escape right away. Morphine was different in that they were proud they were from Boston, Massachusetts. They start like every live show with it. If you hear bootlegs, you know, yeah, they, yeah, ladies yeah. and gentlemen from uh, Boston, Massachusetts, we are morphine, yep. you know. And so it was, they were very different from the Pixies in that regard, in that even as they became more popular, they still played local shows. I mean, I saw them Central Square outdoors at a, uh, you know, like a live street festival once. They, they were into yeah. being from Boston and staying that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I don't, I mean, having not been to Boston though, I, I don't know. Um, I got the feel, uh, externally that maybe this, this, this is what Boston sounded like. Um, I, but at the same time I was hearing this thing, uh, especially with cure for pain. Cause that's when I first came into this band. I was just like, uh, like this doesn't sound like anything else. Um, how do you, do you think there was a reason this happened in Boston? Or just well, like I mean, I've trained my brain over the last few years to to <laughs> to suss out reasons why yeah, things yeah, happen exactly. in Boston. That's so of why course, I'm talking to you. yeah, yeah, of course, I say yes. I mean, um, the the kind of noir, mysterious vibe, mm-hmm. um, uh, adult life that's conveyed in the morphine discography, to me, is evocative of a kind of Boston. And but like anyone who tries to pigeonhole things, there's always a bunch of different sounds coming out of any city. Um, but you know, I was so proud that a band this great yeah. was from Boston, and that I could see them. And you know, I even had uh, one meaningful interaction oh. with Mark after a show. Um, yeah, I think when I finally get to BU in late '97, early '98. I saw he was playing solo at the Middle mm-hmm. East upstairs. So I jumped at the chance to go see that. And he played solo and he played all these songs. He played a couple morphine songs, but he played all these songs that I had never heard before and were fantastic. And, um, and they still haven't come out. Right. Like I still haven't, you know, there's these posthumous Sandman releases. I still haven't heard these songs. And I remember certain lines from them. Anyways, the show ended. It was terrific. And the Middle East is set up where, you know, there's no there's yeah, no backstage. Yeah. You kind of, if you want to leave, you go through the front bar. And I was leaving. I saw Mark kind of just slowly making his way through the upstairs bar. I tapped him on the shoulder and I said, hey, Mark, uh, those songs were great. Are you, are you planning to record those? And then, you know, he turned around and very thoughtfully you know, looked at me and said, I don't know. You think I should? <laughs> and it, and he was yeah, really genuine yeah. about it. And, and the, and I, I'm literally like an 18 year old kid. So the fact that, you know, he just took the time to ask me <laughs> for his advice, which I think I stammered 
through some kind of like, yeah, those songs were amazing. You definitely <laughs> should. But um, that's just kind of evocative of kind of the the non rock star, um, but at the same time mysterious person. He yeah, seemed and, to I be. mean the music is. I mean that that comes out in him. In him, I don't know um, for people who don't know the instrumentation. It's it's a it's a Barry sax. It's a couple different types of sax, um, uh, drums, and then on a weird two string slide bass. Um, and and they would work right. in these instruments later on in their career. Uh, there's some beautiful like mandolin work uh, on Cure for Pain, um, which actually I think that's kind of what makes the album. You're you're sort of plunked down in this weird noirish thing, and all of a sudden it comes out this beautiful lilting thing that uh honestly could have ended up in astral weeks um well yeah and that mandolin player is a guy named jimmy ryan who was also low i had yeah. seen him in some couple local bands he was he was gigging hard i believe at the time um and that was another thing you know they weren't even as they got signed to major labels they weren't bringing in um you know international superstar guest stars they kept it yeah local they, they kept and, um this album was their second and um you know, good. Going back, it feels almost like a, a, a more of like a punk album. It it, it definitely came out of nowhere. Um, but if you look at this in the arc of their career, uh, they never really topped it as far as the impact of it. Um, although the night in two thousand was good, but this coming out in nineteen ninety three, this is on the heels of of like Nirvana and all that Smashing Pumpkins. This is on the heels of of the grunge explosion. Yeah. And you have this very earnest. Uh, if you didn't know better, it would you'd be like, "This is a jazz record um, thing sure. coming out that's just delivered." And it it struck a chord. And like, why do you think that? How did something like this survive to this day? To where we're still like talking about it? Because when he he died in God, it's been years, twenty years now. <sighs> yep, man. So you know, two decades really without morphine uh, in in the limelight, and yet Cure for Pain, uh, you you can just drop it on somebody and be like, this is an instant classic. Right. And I, well, I think there's a couple of reasons, and this is just me, you know, as a fan talking. I think it's, it's, it's the fact that there's no stink of 90s nope. production. <laughs> uh, no. And uh, their instrumentation choices automatically separate it from the pack. And, you know, the previous album, Good, was very yeah. good, as the, album as the album title implies. But Cure for Pain seemed to be a front-to-back statement to me. It was like they were sure of themselves. It bookended with those beautiful Dana instrumentals. Yeah. And um, there's just not a misstep. It, and... It's, um, I think it's just, I think it's just an example of great writing, great instrumentation, uh, eschewing, you know, production values that might have dated it, and boom, you've got Cure for Pain, and we're still talking about it and, all these years later. And, uh, the title track. So, wait, wait. Yeah, which yeah, is a masterpiece. Because you have, um, you have all these songs that fit their narrative, their noirish thing. And you don't know necessarily if they're Sandman or not, right? Like that's always, you know, you, I, I always saw him as the storyteller and he is just pulling these things out of his, 
like desk and be like, hey, I wrote this story tonight. You want to hear it? Um, but that mm. felt like him. Well, right. Uh, the one thing I think is so cool about, you know, his persona was, uh, let me put it this way. When I see a musician or any artist present a persona, uh, my initial inclination might to be might be to label it as phony in some way. But the fact was, he this was an ampli- amplification of his actual mm-hmm. persona. Um, and the songs on that album and all the albums presented to me as a teenager in Boston as this kind of um, example or vision of what adult life might be like. <laughs> what, what a- <laughs> because I know, you know, I have no experience with the things right, he's right. talking about per se. Y- used you know, to I've meet every Thursday. School. I've, uh, you know, <laughs> right. I have no, I, you know, that, that to me is like, um, you know, uh, a brilliant short story about, you know, the different weird little rivulets, your life yeah. can go down. And the fact that he was so um, poetic about these adult and maybe normal experiences, um, it just kind of opened things up for me. And I was really affected were, by it. Back then, were people, um, when people went to see him, especially like on, on this tour or this album, um, were they? Yeah. Did people like shit? I gotta sound like that, or or were people in Boston just sort of like step away? We're just they're gonna do their thing, and they are the only ones who are gonna do their thing. As far as I know, there's very little like examples of imitation yeah. of the morphine sound locally or nationally. Really, and that's why I asked because um, I can't. There was something, I can't think yeah, of a band. I mean, it wasn't like yeah, it wasn't like a bunch of morphine clones popped up. And I think that, you know, I think that has to do with, A, so unique, you're going to get caught red-handed if you try. But also, you know, they did so they did so well as a band, but they never were um, no. superstars. They, they reached peaks that um, all bands dream of, but they weren't, you know, uh, people were just proud and rallying around them yeah. is my memory. Yeah, I mean, that, the idea... Like there's some bands like so everybody sounded like Nirvana, right? And unfortunately, everybody sounded like Smashing right. Pumpkins. Um, but um, but yeah, there's just some bands that that are their own thing, that occupy their own place in history. They sealed their place in history, I think, with this album. And then just how like he died. There's a great documentary out um, about this band. There's one good, great documentary and one not so good. Um, yeah, there's two. Yeah, and, that's right. And yes. you know, literally, yeah. they found this place. I believe it was in Italy. Where they were just like, you guys are making yep. the music of the gods. Come play here, and and he did, and he died, you know, while they were playing there. I mean, on, yeah, on yeah, stage, which is yeah. is just um, so poetic. So, uh, you know, if you take the lyrics of "Cure for Pain," uh, you know, basically one of these days, all this is, you know, me over with. I can throw my drugs away, and like, uh, it it is fitting and and strange and wild. And I'm saying this should be your next book, Ryan. well you know i mean oh boy i mean i i like i said i had no experience to compare it to in my personal life but when i heard a song like cure for pain it it was foreboding to me it indicated that 
life wasn't going to be easy, but there was a way to always keep it in check and hold on hope and maybe make it poetic and beautiful. And and I think that's what people should take away from not just this album, but this band Um, and be, uh, you know, especially like now in these times, if you're looking for like a light somewhere, pick up this album, man. I would. Yeah. And you know, I, you know, once in a blue moon, I'll, wonder where they would have gone after the night or if they finished the night with right. Mark. Um, they just, I, I feel they were really creative and had a lot more to do. So the, the premature ending of it yeah. really stung. Um, and you know, this past year I've gotten to work with oh, Dana, yeah. the sax player. He did some parts on the, uh, audio book soundtrack that my band created right. for my book. And, um, it was just insane. I was sending him melodies and he was riffing <laughs> off them. And, you know, I tried to communicate how special and important this was to him via email. And um, I'm, I'm sure he heard it. And I'm sure he hears it all yeah. the time because, um, yeah, there hasn't, be, there hasn't been a band like it before and there hasn't been like a band like it. And they're out there now playing, mm-hmm. I believe, is uh, the name they're going by now is Vapors of Morphine. Um, and that. Yeah, Vapors of Morphine is great. I mean, they honor the legacy. Um, uh, we played with them a year oh, or no two shit. ago uh, for a benefit show, and they're wonderful. Um, you know, I just love that they're getting together and making music and honoring that legacy. And in fact, Central Square, right where the Middle East is, is now um, honored by it, it. There's this sign there that says it's Mark St. Oh, Square. And uh, every time I go, I love to look oh, at it. I believe that is exactly how it should be. Uh, thanks so much for talking, Ryan. Thank you. And uh, with that, we are out of here. Uh, we are winding down this podcast. Uh, like I said, I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about what is going on uh, with us. We mentioned earlier in the year that we are planning a move out of D.C., uh, what that means for here. Practically nothing. It's just We just won't be recording here. Um, but that was facilitated in part by the fact that our studio... Uh, our beloved basement keeps on um, having these flooding issues, which is out of our control um, since we technically do not own the space. Um, and uh, over the course, it flooded really badly at Memorial Day. And now here we are shortly after Labor Day and it flooded again. And uh, so I've made the decision that we won't be going back down there. Um, it may be repaired, but it's not worth um not worth putting our shit down there, not worth storing and saving at all. Um, so a chapter of this podcast, this site of, uh, quite frankly, my life, uh, sort of is, is coming to an end with that. But that's that's cool. You know, as our friend Taper Craig actually posted on Facebook, he said, you know, sometimes a basement is just a basement. And I think that's right. I think, um, I think what that does is what it has always done um, is force us to evolve. Which means we're going to be talking from a lot of weird places, maybe. Right now, I'm talking from my uh, living room or listening room upstairs. Uh, maybe you'll hear from us over at Eduardo's. Maybe you'll hear just a bunch of people doing remotes. Maybe at a venue. Maybe at a bar. Um, it's been a it's been a mission of this particular season, which is season season seven, keeping count uh, to get out and talk to more people because I think that's where the power of music is. Um, you know, you can listen to Morphine all day long. Uh, but if you don't talk to people about it, uh, that's kind of keeping that joy to yourself and, and that joy should be spread. So that's, 
that's what we're doing. That's what we've always done. That's what we're going to keep on doing. Um, so wanted to fill everybody in on that. Um, if you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a rating or a message there. Listen to us on Google Play, Mixcloud, Stitcher, or Spotify. You can uh, actually contribute to our Patreon page. It's Patreon. Uh, it's like at Chunky Glass. The link's in the show notes, guys. Uh, so if you want to support us or you want to fund to, I don't know, uh, yeah, repair some of the equipment that got trashed in the basement flood, uh, you can do that too. For Ryan Walsh, uh, link's in, always in the show notes. But just look up Astral Weeks, The Secret History of 1968. A phenomenal book. And uh, thanks to him once again. And we will be back in exactly a week. And uh, I don't know what we're going to be talking about. And I kind of like that. Um, so so hang in there. We'll be back. And then we're going to get into October. Oh, and before I get out of here, um, we have been busy. And we've been busy doing a new thing. Our friend Casey Ray, we've heard on this a lot, is a deadhead, a huge deadhead, as are we, as am I. It's surprising some people. Um, with that revelation, but we have a brand new podcast coming out. It's called Dead to Me. If you go to www.deadtomepod.com, there is a little placeholder site that's going to go live uh, over the weekend, and the first episode is going to drop next week. I think it's Tuesday, uh, and uh, look, I've heard it, guys, and uh, I'm on it a little bit, um, but it's myself, him, and Eduardo, and it is uh, it is wonderful, and it's going to, you know, it's a real... It's just another way to get you turned on to music, man. Uh, which is what we do here at Chunky Glasses, uh, the podcast. Now, Chunky Glasses, the podcast network. How about that? So uh, stay safe, stay dry, and uh, we will see you in about a week. Uh, and always remember, be good to your ears, but be better to your people. Talk to you soon. Kenobi! <laughs> 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 <laughs>